sand through the hourglass. Today is the longest day of my life. Okay, welcome back to The Longest Days of Our Lives. I'm uh, one of your co-hosts and 24 super fan, Mike Cushing. I am one of your co-hosts and 24 newbie, Curtis Perry. And I am just a regular dude who's also a Jack Bauer super fan, Michael Howard. Gentlemen, welcome back. It's uh, it's hour four, it's 3 a.m. Welcome to the witching hour. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it wasn't the most exciting episode, but... Um, it's a bit of a snoozer, but again, it is three in the morning. People should be asleep. Yeah, right. nothing good happens after 2 a.m., so... That's true. Um, before we dive into the meat of this episode, I do want to say that um, I was doing a little bit of word-of-mouth marketing um, to some of my friends down here in Atlanta, and I was talking to a girl who... Uh, she was very excited by the idea of the podcast because her and her family were such big Jack Bauer and 24 super fans, mostly because she's Canadian. And so is Kiefer Sutherland. Okay. But she has a, she has a young cousin who uh, is named Jack after Jack Bauer. Are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm not. Oh my God. And, that's amazing. That's fantastic. And Curtis, I, I, I'd like to, you know, let everyone know you're a brand new father for the second time. Yeah. Um, did you go ahead and, and name your son after after Jack Bauer? No, I did not. No, I huh. did not. Mm. Wow. Failed mm. that aspect. Um, huh. Well, as as was stated before, I have been disappointed in what I think is a downgraded murder story that I expected from Jack Bauer. <laughs> um, I expected uh, the old cat, at least a category four. Um, an F four if you're in Tornado Alley, um, and I'm I'm getting a I'm getting a tropical wave right now, maybe depression, and it's oh. just it's just yeah. not not wow. good enough. Wow. Well, then you must have been very disappointed in this episode, which didn't it featured a little bit of Jack Bauer gunplay and some some pretty good Jack Bauer lines, but no good good murder. No, no. Um, there was some there were some shots fired. Um, some great great military movement. Uh, by Jack and a new friend who we'll discuss a little later. Um, very, very happy with how Jack handled himself uh, in the eyes of law enforcement. But, uh, you know, just just how does someone end up not dead with that many shots being fired? Yeah, I, I think, I think one, Curtis, I, I want you to trust me when I say that Jack Bauer is just gathering steam at the moment. You know, he's, he, you know, he is in that tropical wave phase. You know, he might have teased a little tropical storm. He killed two guys, cut a thumb off maybe. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he slowed down. Maybe he stalled a little bit. He's sitting in but the warm know, waters, though. Just yeah, gathering some strength, I think. He's off the Bahamas cruising towards Florida, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so let's do a quick recap. Let everyone know where we're at. So in uh, previous episodes, uh, Jack has dealt with a daughter who ran away and is now kidnapped, as we know. Uh, his wife, Terry, is trying to track her down with the father of her friend, Janet. Uh, Jack is now in the midst of some sort of assassin, ass- assassination attempt um, against a presidential candidate, Senate, Senator David Palmer. He's a uh, young black senator running for president for the first time. It's the day of the California primary. He's expected to win, but he has a dark side. We don't know what he's up to. Uh, he's met with some some shady characters. We learned that there's a dark family secret in their past. His son might have committed murder against his sister's rapist, which is a real power move. More power to that guy. I I take, you know, I don't think it's murder. I'm just saying. Okay. He, he conducted righteous vengeance against right, a better. potential bad man. Yeah, yeah. Um, our, our terrorists have blown up a plane to to 
just merely grabbed the ID of a, a <laughs> photographer who had a date with Senator Palmer uh, to take his picture. Um, and they uh, they've worked through some some trouble spots on their terrorist end. Um, but things seem to be clicking. And we learned in the last episode that um, maybe the kidnapping, the kidnapping of Jack's daughter, Kim, is a little bit more connected to the terrorist plot at large. So, you know, things are going. Uh, Jack's boss was murdered as he handed the information uh, on a key card over to Jack. Um, so Jack is in some hot water as well. So that's where we start off. And uh, Kim and her friend Janet have just... Well, Kim has been re-kidnapped, and Janet has just been run over by a goddamn car. Possibly a Pontiac Firebird. Yes. Or a Trans so, We don't know. Uh. So, <laughs> So we open at 3 a.m. with Janet just in the streets, all bloodied up. Oh, yeah. And, um, and people do not like get, that. She does not get a kind reception no. from the, no. the... Some random... A foreigner with a random Middle Eastern or Middle European, I'm sorry, Eastern European accent drives by and gives zero fucks about no. Janet being the Middle Eastern. I believe, rude. I believe what he yells at her, what are you, an idiot? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. And... Sure. Um, and then, uh, so he drives off. Uh, I think two more people walk past, just kind of looking at her oddly. And yep. then, um, homeless lady had none fucks to give. About so Janet. two very non good Samaritans <laughs> pass Janet in the streets, uh, just leaving her to bleed and just die. And Kim, Kim gives a gives us a couple more um, just dying lamb yells. <laughs> right. So, 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 so they, they cover Kim's mouth mm-hmm. to try to stop her from screaming, but at some point, she her mouth is uncovered, and all she gets out is, get off me! Yeah. What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah. You're right, so we cut back to Kim in the in the kidnap van with uh, Rick and Dan, our uh, intrepid terrorist henchmen uh, <laughs> who have kidnapped her. <laughs> you know, uh, Kim Gaines is really bad at hiring people. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. The, the vetting process for this terrorist organization is pretty bad, yeah. which we'll get into a little bit later. But um, so uh, they throw Kim in the van and just tell her that Janet's dead. So we got that. And then we cut back to to Jack mm-hmm. and he's in CTU with Nina. Oh, uh, she he, angry, though. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nina's not pleased. And uh, so Jack admits to Nina that uh, Walsh is dead uh, and that uh, he was killed because... He had proof that the agency is involved in uh, the hit on Palmer, but that Walsh trusted Jamie, our uh, our midriff clothed hacker. Yeah, and I can't tell if you know if Nina is surprised by any of this or or what because I, she's just she's just awful. Right, and so this is it was a, an odd exchange with Jack because um, Jack tells Nina that Walsh trusted Jamie. Jamie or Nina asks him, "Do you?" and he says. I trust you, which means the three of us need to work together and assume that we can trust nobody else. So Jack is like, he's very fickle with like the people he trusts and even just the people he hates. Like, yeah, nothing matters to Jack Bauer. Yeah. How did he, how can he say he trusts her after he just basically grilled her with no warning? I mean, I looked at this and I said, okay, at 12.15, he was told to trust no one. In two hours and 45 minutes, his circle of trust has grown to three. In the famous Meet the Parents movie, Greg did get in the circle of trust for like a week. (laughs) This son of a bitch is just adding random people who could be, one of them is a hacker, another one is the only person tied to the one piece of evidence you have around this assassination plot. But they're in. Who who no less than 20 minutes ago he he thought was the singular mole in CTU passing information. And the only reason that he trusts her is because they've been fucked. They've been fucking. Well, to be fair, 
their fucking has in his mind cleared her of all wrongdoing because they were fucking during said wrongdoing. Um, okay, so it's now three oh five. We cut back to Senator David Palmer. Um, he's now back in the hotel room. He calls Carl for an update on the uh, on him fixing the situation with Keith and the reporter Maureen Kingsley. It says uh, this can't be done over the phone, but I need to hear something by four a.m. So we got a, we got a hard fifty five minute clock on getting a resolution with Carl. No, so here's what I got right. So Carl originally asked for an hour around two thirty. And so now he's got till four. So how this dude got an extra half an hour on his on his on his on his plan here? How the fuck did that just happen? You don't you don't extend the time. You say, hey, by three thirty, I want to hear something, Carl. Get on. Well, it. I think if if we've learned anything from the current presidential administration, is that sometimes <laughs> your political operatives are pretty incompetent and really can't get shit done in a timely or effective manner. Um, and if they do do something, you're gonna get called on it. So oh, maybe you know, give him a little extra time. Carl's still in the car. And you talked to right. him a half hour ago. Like, it's 3 a.m. in L.A. Like, where the well, hell are you going? going? Yeah. Well, to be fair, I have led, I have been led to believe that L.A. is just nonstop gridlock at all hours of the day. So mm. then maybe that makes sense. So Palmer talks to his wife, Sherry, and is informed that there is a plot against him, an assassination plot. Mm-hmm. And his response is, oh, that's what all the fuss is about? I thought it was something serious. Right. And so what I've noticed in the first 15 minutes of this episode is that between the people who've seen Janet and the people and now this this brave senator, there are no fucks to give right now in L.A. Yeah. Palmer senator David Palmer is, certainly has a lack of fucks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Guy's got guy's got no time for fucks. Mm-hmm. No. I don't care how many aides he's got who want to fuck him. <laughs> that's that's not there's no time in the schedule. Oh, man. I got time. I, mean, I got time to fuck aides. I got time to give a fuck about an assassination plot. I barely get I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck about these these thugs. In the, you know, trying to beat up cars. <laughs> uh, I give a fuck about getting elected. Mm-hmm. That's supposed to happen when I get up at 6 a.m. Oh, yeah. Right, right now. So get the fuck out of my room, Secret Service yeah. agent. You know? I got things to do. Yeah. Okay. So we cut back to CTU. Jack is talking to Tony in a professional setting. Tony, uh, who also been fucking Nina. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony has noticed a discrepancy finally in the flight manifest of the plane that blew up. Um, realizes that, uh, there's some some inconsistencies in the in the flight manifest that someone was in flight two B or seat two B even though the flight manifest says it was empty. So he thinks that there was something there. So I think we finally have a clue that we're going to track down Martin Belkin, the photographer who's set to meet with with Palmer. So things are in motion. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tony's on the case, but now we we jump over to Jack, Nina, and Jamie. Uh, Jamie has been working on decrypting the key card that Jack got from Walsh. Um, Tony is just being nosy as fuck. Yeah. What's he up to? Well, he's sitting over there drinking his Cubs cup, but he's just staring at, staring at them. Like, like they're, like they're not going to see him looking across the office over his mug. Just being like, oh, hey guys, I'm just, I'm just working here. You know, I'm not looking at you chit chatting over there. Well, so we already know that, that Tony thinks that Jack needs to be relieved of command. Oh yeah. Um, Right. Right. So we're aware of that. So Tony is keeping an eye on things. In the meantime, Jack is trying to get Jamie to get information off the key card. Uh, So what is she, what does she find? I'm going to get to the horse shit around this, uh, this key card decryption in a second. But first, (laughs) um, uh, Jack says that he wants to call in someone named Rayburn at 3 a.m. and is told that he normally gets in at 6. That's a dick move. That guy's mm-hmm. getting a good night's sleep, and you're just going to three hours early. 
Come on, man. So I, I want to meet Rayburn, and I hope I hope he's, he's a decent man who's got some patience. Palmer's Day starts at 6. We don't have time to wait for you to come in and get your coffee and have your Danish, Rayburn. We need to get your ass up and get to fucking work. Yeah, put your pants on like a big boy and get in there. <sighs> this man hasn't had time to prep for this. We don't know if he had a late night out. Couple scotches, maybe. He just gets. I don't have to be up till six. Good to well, go. Well, if he's like anyone else in this show, it is apparently their day off, and they <laughs> also got pulled in. And really, you know what? I don't have any sympathy for Rayburn because Jack has not uh, seemed to sleep. He he put in a full day. It's three in the morning. This and you know true. what? Judging by everyone else, Rayburn's probably coming in in his pajamas. Uh, well, actually, so and then this he'll is change at some point. Yeah. So the only group of people that has acknowledged the lack of sleep going on is the the Palmer family, mm-hmm. who, as we move through this episode, they keep saying, "I'm not going to sleep until you sleep," or like, I, "If it, if I don't go to sleep by three, I'm not sleeping," which is but just random shit. That's, that's random shit. I didn't know Keith had that superpower. <laughs> so random <laughs> shit like that. So if it's if Rayburn is anything like everyone else in this series. He's not sleeping. He's not pooping. He ain't eating. No. He doesn't need a Danish. No. He's just he's so a, you're saying Rayburn's just le- sitting there by the phone waiting. Saying, yeah, he's right. a lean, mean <laughs> counter terrorist machine. Let's get this. I know it's okay. coming. All so right. so Jamie Jamie has been at work on this key card and apparently she yeah, because apparently de- decryption works like at little discrete blocks. So oh God, yeah. she's <laughs> able to pull off a single address, <laughs> yep. but it'll take hours to get through the rest of it. So, yep. so, so yeah. So she says so they're running, she mentions later that they're, they're running their own decryption software, right? So she's not decrypting shit. Um, but she says that I can only decrypt it by sector, which by the way, you guys, while I'm not up on my hacker, on my hackeries from my times in high school, um, decryption by sector ain't a thing. You just encrypt a file. I've only, I'm really only familiar with the, the, uh, young hacker girl in Jurassic Park who's familiar with a Unix system. So, so she had to, you know, hack discrete systems. I understand that. Um, so she learns that it'll take hours to get through the rest of the encryption. Jack decides that he's going to check it out on himself because we don't um, have hours, guys. Right. We don't have hours. So he needs to go do it himself, which, Kind of, so we, we mentioned that Tony has called someone at CTU saying that Jack Bauer needs to be relieved of command. I'm forced to ask the question, what exactly is Jack commanding if all he does is go out in the field and solve the shit himself? <laughs> yeah, like, he disappears for like an hour. He shows up, he talks to about three people and says, yeah, keep working on that. And then he goes up to his office. He also, his boss has anything. died and he disappears. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> His, his his boss's boss died. He had a meeting with his boss, who his boss limped out of. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, okay, so speaking of bosses, um, so Jack leaves the room to go track down this address at 18166 San Fernando Road, and then, woo-woo-woo-woo-woo! They closed, they closed all the sockets, y'all. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's over. We get our first CTU lockdown, fellas. And ladies of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so so I have more of these to look forward to when you're telling me, Coach? Uh, yes, and much in much more dramatic fashion, my great, friend. Great. So this CTU lockdown, uh, we learned that apparently Jamie was streaming her decryption software from some <laughs> CTU soft, like <laughs> server and can't can't do any more work. All the phones are down. So in walks George Mason, the the uh, man who Jack has previously tranquilized in the leg. Uh, Nina goes to handle this while Jack runs out the back door like a, a man on a mission. Um, he uses a sneaky key trick. The yes. Sneaky key, key trick punch. 
gut punch, which yeah. knocks which knocks out a federal agent. Just yeah. he's done. He can't. So you you guys saw a gut punch. That's interesting because um, did you so, think he got hit well, in the dick? Yeah. So <laughs> right in the so gym Nina, so yeah, so Nina goes to interact with Mason and say that, hey, we're trying to stop an assassination. Mason says, hey, a lockdown is standard procedure when uh, an agent dies. So in the meantime, Jack is sneaking out the back door and is blocked by a, a CTU agent who I saw a dick punch. You guys saw a gut punch? <laughs> I saw a gut punch. I assume the best out of Jack, um, not just to go right for the dick. Uh, I mean, he a- is a small guy, so... Maybe a straight punch is right in the dude's dick. I don't. I, don't I know. mean, so if we've learned anything about Jack, it's that he's ruthlessly efficient. Okay. I don't think he's wasting time punching tum tums. He's going right <laughs> for the giblets. <laughs> That's just my reading of the situation. <laughs> the guy I mean, did go down pretty fast. Yeah. Okay. So Jack escapes out the back door, he's and gone we learned rogue. that. Yeah, he's gone rogue again. A new, another first for the twenty-four series. Um, so Jack has gone rogue. We learned that as part of the CTU lockdown, all phones and all communications are locked down. So Jack is totally cut off. And so uh, then we get a little, the Palmer operation now. Uh, literally no one, because no one can talk to the outside world. Hmm. But then we get we get an inter- interesting interaction with Nina and Tony. What happens there? Well, when Mason walks in, Tony's looking a little guilty, and Nina gives him that that real good. Hey, we've been fucking. I can't believe you just did this side eye. I can't believe you fucked me right. after we've been fucking. Yeah, right. We were fucking and you fucked me. So Nina has the interesting line. I hate to think that this has anything to do with me. Oh, and Tony right. responds. He says, think what you want. Yeah. Which basically Classic. says, yeah, this yeah. is all about it's how about- you were fucking and now we're fucking. And now I don't like that you've been fucking. Yeah. Okay, so after after people been fucking, we cut back to it's now three seventeen. Uh, da- Senator David Palmer and and Secret Service agent Aaron Pierce finally meet. There's an in- another interesting interaction. Uh, Pierce says, "I'm not sure you appreciate the seriousness of this threat." And Palmer says, "I get serious threats every day with my orange juice." Yep. Which I don't know about you guys. The worst threats I get with my orange juice are like sometimes eggs give me indigestion. <laughs> right. Or just like, you know, when that when you drink too much citrus and your tongue kind of curls up on you a little bit on the sides. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. citrus tongue. That's a problem. Yeah. Overall. Yeah. And Things one have gone time wrong. one time I drank too much orange juice and then when I peed it burned a lot. Mm. Yeah. That's pretty that, bad. That may be something yeah. else. That may be that may be something else. I, what I thought, I'm like, okay, you get you get threats during OJ time. Is, are there threats delivered to you during the rest of breakfast, maybe lunch, or is it just during your OJ? No, like, is that yeah. when is that when it's given to you? Is hey, yeah, when, it's I, like, when I pour, it's when I pour the, the OJ, OJ when I pour the OJ, you bring the threats in. Mm-hmm. Like, that's how it works for me. Um, and I think that Palmer now, I as Pierce is talking to him, I see fucks creeping into his mind that he now can give about this threat because he mentions that it's a it's an outside guy it's a foreigner a shooter mm-hmm. he's ready to go and you know as he's describing the guy palmer's more like oh well shit this might be real you know he's yeah. like oh i finally i finally made it son they bring in an outside bitches to try and kill me right and he's he's really worried about that until pierce mentions that he might have to miss a breakfast <sighs> and palmer will be goddamned if he'll miss his orange juice and breakfast no when is he going to know about his threats exactly. if he doesn't get his orange juice? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. People need the to breakfast stay breakfast is important. I'm trying to win an election. What good is you keeping me safe if I lose this election? Yeah. When my day starts at 6 a.m., friend, him. I need some breakfast. All right? Mm-hmm. And, then, and then Keith comes in and says quite possibly the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. He comes in and he's like, ah. Oh. And Palmer's like, hey, I, I thought you were sleeping. He says, oh, no. Um... 
if it's past three, I ain't sleeping. Okay, fine, whatever, Keith. Uh, then he says, hey, you want to watch some tube? Some tube. Some tube? Like, yeah. what the, is, what the fuck, who says that, first of all? Michael, you ain't never watched no boob tube? Come yeah. on now. Settle down, player. You see boob tube. <laughs> Easy. Okay. So uh, they're, they're wondering if they should talk about the threat. They keep it to themselves. Uh, and then we cut back to our intrepid Kim Nappers. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. Kim is Dan the fucking is- worst. Like, she keeps complaining that they're leaving Janet and she might need help. And she's so, oh, my God, we need to go back. Like, they literally do not care if Janet is dead or alive. And she thinks that... She's going to be able to convince them to go back and help her. Yeah. So I was I, I was struck by this, and it, she keeps saying like needling Dan. Like, why do you keep listening to Rick? You're a good guy. What do you keep doing? What he tells you? Why don't you think for yourself? And really, the only objective proof she has that Dan is a good guy is that he didn't roofie her like mm-hmm. Rick roofied Janet. Mm-hmm. I mean, Rick just gave Janet heroin, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, and had heroin to give her. Sounds like a good guy to me. So I think, so here's the problem, guys. So not, not a half hour ago, Kim did meet a hooker with a heart of gold. She's, she's now, she's now in her brain thinking that maybe kidnappers also have a heart of gold and they will help Janet. Then, (laughs) then, then douche says, shit, you know what? She might be right. She might Mm -hmm. be alive. We need to go back and find her. And Kim's like, yeah. Got it. And he's like, yeah. It's time to shut her up for good. We need to right. kill her. Yeah, she's <laughs> alive. And Kim had never even, this has never even crossed her mind. And then she's like, Dan, oh, you're just going to kill Janet? Huh? Huh? Like, well, Michael, to be fair, I will say, so I wrote, <laughs> I wrote this down. So, uh, you know, Dan, he realizes that they might have to go back and kill, kill Janet to shut her up for good. Uh, a, a solid 20 minutes later after they left, after they left her alive. So it's not, Kim's not the only person who's just realizing that Janet might talk to somebody. Right. Um, Dan also didn't really fully consider the the options of or the ramifications of leaving a girl dying in the streets. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, well, once that's again, what happens when you every time you have a chance and you have a minute, you smoke a J. Right. You got to smoke. It a, also or, it's it's magnificent to me that this man. Okay, Janet's been hit by a car. Mm-hmm. Right. She's laying in the middle of the street after being hit by a car. So Dan realizes he may have to kill Janet. And his first idea is, I'm going to drive up to her and shoot her in the face. Well, yeah. You so we'll already get, have a van. In the slowest. <laughs> we'll get to, we'll get to that. We'll get to Ever. that. So in the, in the meantime, in the meantime, they, uh, they, uh, Rick duct tapes Kim, finally proving that he is not a after, good guy. After, after, after Kim's lap. No. Yeah. Yeah, so Kim gives a weird goat scream. Mm-hmm. He, she gets slapped, uh, and then uh, he ties her, ties her up with duct tape, and they're off to the races. So we cut back to Terry, uh, Kim's mom, Jack's wife, and uh, Alan, Janet's father, mm-hmm. who um, who get pulled over by a motorcycle cop, who are always the most dickish of cops in my experience. <laughs> and uh, this one is this one is no oh, less. Shit. He throws gotta... some serious fucking well, shade so at them. Well, so once again. I feel like like anyone in this universe, this cop knows people been fucking. Yeah. Oh yeah. And he's like, he's like, oh, we got two people, one two, married, two last names, yeah. one married, one married, Y'all one been not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, guys, I, so, I got I got a riff on this one a bit. I, I thought you might, Curtis, because I do want to. I'll set up the scene and I'll let you just get right after it. So, um, Terry 
tells the cop that there had been a 911 call for this location about a young girl being missing um, and that he they just need the cop to verify the 911 call. The cop goes back to his motorcycle to verify the call and then Alan, Janet's dad, jumps out of the car and says he gets all up in his face. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to leave it there and let you go to town, my man. So first off, first off, um, it's 3 a.m. and there's two white folks driving a car. The cops aren't pulling them over. That's not happening. That's just not, it's not gonna, sorry, I don't care. It's not gonna, it's not gonna happen, right? Um, then, then, uh, the dad just jumps out of the car, right? I'm shot immediately. I would be shot on spot, no question about it, dead. No, no, no talking about it, no nothing. That's the end of that. Then of course, yeah, he does hand over license registration. He reads, he reads what he needs to read, and then you see the dad make a face as he realizes that the cop is gonna go call 911 call, which tells me immediately that he's part of the plot. I've always questioned whether he was part of the plot, and, and, and now I know that he. So you're fully on board, suspicious I, dad. I, you're on. I you're am. on board, suspicious dad. I am. I am, and also lucky to be alive, dad. Okay, because I'm going to say this. <laughs> do you do you think he's even Janet's dad? I don't. You don't. I don't. Interesting. Okay. I don't because let's not forget that his idea of how to make sure that his daughter was safe in a very bad neighborhood was, yeah, I'll be back in a couple hours. Yeah, I'll leave. <laughs> okay. Well, as all of He also sh- didn't immediately break everything in the furniture store when he found a condom. Right. Okay, well, it's now 323, and as all those shenanigans with Alan York are going down in the motorcycle cop, Rick and Dan roll slowly <laughs> by in their rape van <laughs> for right. the f- literally the third time crossing paths with Terry and, yep. and Alan, Alan York. Um, okay, so we cut back to a pretty boring interaction. It's now three, almost 3.30 with uh, George Mason and Nina Myers at CTU. Well, there's a couple um, things. I mean, it was pretty boring. Yeah, he was trying to he was trying to grill her and get her to give up Jack. But there's a couple things I noticed. There were so many videotapes in the background. Holy shit. Like, I mean, I know it's 2001, but it, that just... You're talking about physical v- VHS yeah, tapes. like VHS tapes. And a CRT I will say television. that's one of the only things that ages this show is just the like the little tidbits of technology because like really like the, it's we've mentioned this before the technology is actually pretty forward thinking yeah but, but then it's, and then the other thing is that um, Nina basically calls out Mason and is like hey they're gonna look into your bank accounts and they're gonna be really interested in that and he basically says that Jack is in so much trouble that they're not gonna give two shits about my bank account. So basically he said, because Jack is in trouble, I can steal all the money I want, is basically what he told Nina. Right. So he says that, and then I think the most interesting part of this first interaction with Jack or Nina and Mason is that um, he knows that Nina and Jack been fucking. Mm-hmm. I mean, and he says, I know, know about the affair. Fucking. Jack talks about it all the time. And I got to ask you, fellas, does Jack seem like the kind of guy who brags about an affair to his boss? No. No, no, definitely not. So. He keeps that on the, on the down low. He, I think he, he, he's the kind of guy that wants everyone to know that he's been fucking, right? <laughs> but not, he doesn't need to tell you that he. Yeah, you just know he exudes it. Yeah. So he asks, he asks Nina, is it possible that Jack's not the white knight you think he is? And then where is he at? And then we find out immediately where Jack is at. Um, he's, he's searching for the address, uh, on San Fernando road. Uh, and as all Jack Bauer segues must do, he makes a phone call to Terry, um, to talk and then asks to talk to the cop who's waiting to transport Alan to prison. Um, so yeah, Jack doesn't really spend his time in segues very well. Well, here's the thing though. I realize at this point that. Terry leaves the car, right, to mm-hmm. go to go talk to the cop, and so she, he, Jack doesn't get through to her, which makes me realize 
Terry's daughter called her, basically saying, we're being chased, you need to call 911. Terry called 911, then they're driving, and she never called her husband, who was the head of the counter-terrorist unit in L.A., to tell him that Kim had probably been kidnapped and was being chased and maybe he could help them find her. Mm-hmm. Well, Michael, I've got good news for you. It's not the first time a uh, character in the show will be logically inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack does not get through to Terry um, and he's searching for the address and luckily someone, some kind of soul had spray painted the address <laughs> of the of the building on a, on a plywood wall. That's so a, that's Jack pulls in. It was hugely painted yeah. on that wall. So, um, so Jack pulls in, he, he walks into like a seedy warehouse area mm-hmm. and pulls his gun and then he sees a man, tells the man not to move. Don't move. Don't move. What, yeah. what does the man do? Oh, he moved. He, he moved. He moved, he moved, he moved very quick. With yeah. the quickness. Mm-hmm. And then, um, we get the first, another first of this show, which will, Curtis, you'll come to appreciate just as much as our fans do. Michael, what does, what does Jack say for the first time in this show? Jack says, damn it. Damn it. For the first uh, time in this show. So I want to give a little treat to everyone, just a, like a little a little tidbit. Um, so one of the drinking game rules for the twenty the 24 drinking game is that every time Jack Bauer says, damn it, you take a drink. And apparently Kiefer Sutherland discovered that rule in the drinking <laughs> game. And being a lover of adult beverages himself started ad-libbing dammits into the show. And as we progress through the next couple of seasons, I think we're all going to notice it in ways that we all really appreciate. So I'm really excited about that. I came across a article on the wiki for 24 where they catalog how many times Jack says, damn it. And they actually calculate a average damn it per episode for a season. Okay, I can get behind that. Uh, and so the max dammits per episode for a season were season four and season seven, which were a 0.83 dammits per episode. Hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who do you think the character that he says, damn it, where he says, damn it. And then person, who do you Chloe. think? It, it's gotta be Kim, right? It is Tony. That Tony. makes sense. Uh, so you just mean, so now Michael, you just ruined my entire experience. Well, cause I boss. thought for sure. That Jack would shoot Tony in the head by the end of this, <laughs> and and that was it was going to be a masturbatory time for me because I fucking hate Tony. Um, and now I know it's not going to happen at least this season, and that 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 upsets me. Well, but, speaking of, speaking of shooting things, mm-hmm. uh, the guy that Jack tells not to move runs and then shoots at Jack, uh, and. Oddly enough, uh, a passing police officer in L.A. happens to hear the gunshot, which, again, I've been led to believe that gunshots are just a nonstop thing in L.A. So um, she the guy runs past the cop and she pulls down on Jack. He throws his badge and says, hey, I'm CTU. She's like, what the hell is CTU? And Jack delivers a pretty strong line. Yeah, he says counterterrorism unit. And that man is not waiting around for you. And then he and then he says to her. You can either shoot me or you can help me. But decide now. But decide now. Which yeah. So we got our first we got our first Jack Bauer team up. Yeah. I, I wrote co-op time with yeah. Afro Cop. I'm excited about it. <laughs> okay, so Jack so Jack meets a a young African American cop. Uh she she and Jack team up and they walk into the warehouse together, but Jack says, Careful with that gun, I need him alive. So of course. Um, Terry calls that ex- chooses that exact moment to call Jack back 
Uh, and Jack says, take cover, and the guy shoots all up at him. Yeah, and why is Jack's cell phone not on silent? Well, because he didn't necessarily know that he was about to get an active shooting situation. Right, right, Michael. You'll notice also that his gun is also on silent. Also, that's I don't not re- Jack's. That's not Jack's way of doing things. <laughs> from what also, I also, guys, I don't remember much about the Nokia like 2000s that we all <laughs> definitely had, and so does Jack Bauer in this scene. Mm-hmm. All I remember is Snake Two. <laughs> I don't actually remember if they had a silent ringer. I have no idea. I had a Simpsons ringer on mine. That yeah, no, it, we all had we all had fun ringers, yeah, Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so so now they're chasing this guy through the scene, uh, through the through the warehouse, and Jack tells the police officer that he wishes she hadn't called for backup because cops need to follow the rules, and I might and need I'm gonna to break to, a few with this guy. Which which I, I literally fell over laughing uh, for 2017 uh, is when he said cops have to follow the rules. I'm like, well, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Not so much, and it also struck me, like, just beyond the current like, you know, scene, Jack literally has no idea who this guy is. Other right. than, like, this was an address on the on the key card they had. This could just be some dude with a gun who didn't really want to be talked to by cops that day. Right. <laughs> I want to address something here that... So we've talked a little bit about the shows in real time. And, you know, like, they make a big deal out of time flowing correctly. So this was the first instance of the tiny clock being wrong. Or it just showing things that happened concurrently. Because after Jack... You know, and the the cop have their little shootout. We're told it's three thirty, and we cut back to Mason and Nina still talking. Um, but Curtis, you talked a little bit before about uh, you know you knowing friends in the industry who work on TV shows mm-hmm. and kind of mm-hmm. keeping an eye out for errors. This was one because we had a seven minute stretch between uh, me, Mason and Nina talking at CTU at three twenty nine, and then it being three thirty and cutting back to George Mason and Nina at CTU. Right, it's a long conversation to have. You know? Yeah, so it was it, this. This was the first instance, and I don't know if it's just like the show giving up on the real time thing or just like kind of an error in. But it was interesting to me. It maybe, they, off. maybe they were trying to show that, you know, he's been cheating real in a little bit, but it's probably just a fuck out. Let's be honest. Season yeah. one, you know, nobody's going to really know it. Maybe this won't work. People won't track it that well. <laughs> uh, you know, definitely, definitely 15 years or 16 years from now, three assholes will be sitting around talking about this show, breaking it down minute by minute. So we should be good, guys. Yeah. But uh, so this next scene, uh, <laughs> I think it, it, it highlights what we heard from Jack talking to the cop in the scene before. So it's Mason is talking to Nina that she used to have her reputation in CTU. She was a rising star and then she tied herself to Jack. And now she has a new reputation as Jack's, Jack's lapdog. Yeah, and, that was but he pretty makes, bad. But he, yeah, yeah, and he makes the statement that rules don't apply to Jack Bauer, which I think we've just seen him kind of confirm to Correct. the police officer. <laughs> so it's it's kind of, you know, I kind of get the feeling that, you know, while Jack is definitely our hero, he's not the shining knight we want him to be. Um, which but makes also me that wonder, he, though, how did he end up as the the lead of this field office? Well, he's clearly capable, but I think what I'm worried about is that he tends to get the people around him hurt, which I am now very worried about the cop that Jack is with. I immediately, um, when Afro Cop entered the building with Jack, um, what I said is, my note says, this cop is as good as dead. (laughs) Um, And because, and and I, uh, just a little segue, uh, Michael and I have played several games together, co-op mode. Um, mm-hmm. and, yep. and, and what, what happens is that inevitably one of us, <laughs> not me, um, decides that it's Leroy Jenkins time and we're just going to run after this dude and shoot people and you could cover me and try to get there. 
mm-hmm. and somebody go die. Yeah. And and Afrocop is not as experienced as Jack is. Um, and I don't think that Jack really gives a fuck about anybody else outside of a circle of trust and Terry and maybe Kim. So, so she is just marked for death at this point. Yeah. And so we'll see where that goes in a little bit. But so the next scene, it's Jack and the cop are, are swatting their way through, uh, this warehouse and they come upon a janitor who's just kind of like mopping the floors and, this is another one of those 24, like, oops, was that racist or was it just a weird throwaway scene? Um, so there, the guy immediately drops to the floor when he's, you know, he, people are shooting around him. Um, and the cop, as they're running past him in like split seconds, she yells at the janitor to stay there in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like janitor, she knew that he was Spanish. right, but it, like she literally maybe saw him for a quarter second. Okay, first of all, though, I have a couple problems with this scene. Go on beyond please. beyond the possible racism. So he's a janitor. It is three thirty in the morning, and he is mopping the floor of an apparent abandoned warehouse that mm-hmm. <laughs> Jack just wandered into. First of yeah. all, second of all, this wasn't the first set of gunshots that were fired. He's just so, busy mopping, man. He, he just, keeps his head down, does his work. Yeah, everybody he's needs heard other like, gunshots, and he's just like, yeah, I'm going to keep mopping this floor. I'm exactly. not gonna Which, again, highlights the idea earlier that maybe the guy at this warehouse that Jack is following is just some dude that doesn't want to talk to a cop. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, he's just, the, maybe he's the custodian manager. Yeah. You know? So, again, so this guy, <laughs> again, one. custodian manager who, who carries a gun around. And he's it's like, LA. this, this dude, morning, just, broke, this dude just broke do. into my warehouse yeah. and telling me not to move. I'm just going to shoot this dude. Yep, you can handle business. Wouldn't be my my last option. I'll, I'll say that much. So, again, this guy did not look particularly Latino. Um, but <laughs> the cop yells at him in Spanish as she runs by him, which, again, we'll get to. is one of those 24 scenes that just exists to set up a later interaction. Um, so it's now 336. We cut back to the the uh, low-profile douche mobile with the its purple neon license drive plate. By purple license ever. plate. Yeah. And, guys, it is not looking good for Janet. So she has now been in the road for 36 minutes just slowly dying um we see janet in the road unconscious dan is slowly rolling the van up again you like we mentioned earlier he is already at the wheel of a deadly weapon but chooses (laughs) to pull a gun and point it out the window at janet let's be honest these idiots have not they didn't like bore out the, the barrel of this gun so it's gonna it can track back to somebody. Well, but they, I don't understand. They, why not just why not just throw her in the van? Like they're obviously supposed to still have this girl because Gaines asked for her. Mm-hmm. Well, Gaines asked if she was around, and and he did not seem to care if she was dead. No, all he wants all he wants is Kim. No, right. but like it's gonna be really easy. And really obvious if some girl from the fucking valley just shows up dead in the middle of the street, right? Yeah. Who who well, definitely was with Kim. Everyone knows this at this point. Well, uh, luckily we're all safe from that logical inconsistency <laughs> because an ambulance shows up around the corner and, uh, d- and Dan decides seem to, to keep driving and not that shoot Janet. Ran her over. She got yeah. saved by the amber lamps. Amber lamps. 
So now we cut back to, so yeah, now that Janet is alive, Dan decides to keep on driving and doesn't shoot her in the head. Uh, So we cut back to CTU and Jamie and Nina talk very inconspicuously. (laughs) Probably not giving anyone any suspicious ideas. Um, And Jamie is told by Nina that Mason's going to grill you. Just don't give in to to him because our orders are from Walsh, the dead man who gave us the information. Don't be scared. Jamie is what she says to him. Yeah. Jamie looks ready. Yeah. So now we cut back after that quick, quick, quick scene to uh, Jack and our cop in the warehouse. And uh, Curtis, you had some questions in previous episodes about Jack's fitness and is ready to do, you know, murder. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been running around. He seems he, he's he's a little more fit. He's not out of breath. How you feeling about that? He's looking good. I think I think flat surface Jack is an impressive athlete who can kill some people. Once you get to that incline or some stairs, I think I think your boy's got problems. That so, is bad news because they hear the terrorists running around upstairs <laughs> and now have to go get him. I think I think you don't want to meet Jack, say, you know, in the desert or in the street. But if you can get him to New York City, that man's going down. If he's got to yeah. run up a couple set of stairs, you got him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just get to the Empire State Building immediately. Okay, so it's now 342. Uh, we cut back to Senator David Palmer as Jack realizes that his terrorist is upstairs. Um, so he gets a call from Carl, Carl, the political, political operative. He gives him a name, George Ferragamo, Mm -hmm. which I immediately as a hip hop fan thought was a fashion line. Uh, (laughs) The fashion icon has, has called out Keith. Yeah. Yeah. So Palmer tells Carl to only call him back on a very specific number. He's clearly struggling with some stuff. And then he gets confronted by his wife, Sherry, who wants to know what the deal is. Um, cause she sees that there's, that David's spending a lot of time behind closed doors. And Palmer finally reveals to Sherry that Maureen Kingsley, the journalist, has information that Keith may have killed Nicole's rapist. Yeah. And we um, get the, we get the first, first glimpse that maybe, maybe Palmer is not quite sure that Keith didn't do it. Yeah, he seems to have some doubts. He's, you know, I think I think Palmer sees in himself that he's a man of conviction. Clearly, Keith, if he can't sleep by three, he's staying up. He's got <laughs> right. he's got his own rules to play by. So Keith might be capable of, you know, maybe some stuff that isn't be- maybe in the family's best interest. It's possible. Like earlier in the episode, guys, and we missed this a little bit. So between Keith and Palmer, they're having a conversation. Um, you know, Keith is, you know, asked his dad if everything's okay to keeping him safe. And Palmer says yes, and he says they better, which to me means that Keith just threatened the Secret Service. Mm-hmm. This is to say, if they don't keep you safe, I'm also going to murder the Secret Service. <laughs> so right. I don't think Keith, he just inherited his dad's number of fucks, and that's where Keith's at. It's zero. It's zero yeah. fucks. <laughs> and so um, we get a couple different things in this conversation. We discover that the likeliest source of this information is not the coroner, but Keith's therapist might have leaked the information that which Palmer, kind of puts a lot of credence in it. Yeah, exactly. But it, Palmer also is surprised by the fact that Maureen Kingsley, who he considers to be one of the true professional journalists left in the field, uh, would bring this to him without properly vetting it. Which, again, guys, I guess distrust of the media goes back a lot farther than we thought. That's fake mm-hmm. news. Also, also that that therapist um, can go to jail. That is doctor-patient privilege. You do not give that away. Yeah. Okay. But regardless of that, cat's out of the bag. So Keith may be on hook for a little more than he was bargaining for. Um, so we get a quick scene 
345 of the motorcycle cop with Terry and Alan finally gets confirmation that there was a 911 call and he lets them go. Alan's kind of a dick about the whole thing and they finally what? get back in their car. And what? Get I don't Alan should have got shot. Yeah, like, that, why, why are like, they just, just allowed to go all of a sudden? Like, just yeah. because there was a 911 call near that area, they're in freaking, like, shitville LA. There was probably, like, six 911 calls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Michael, it sounds like you're forgetting they were white. Yeah, you know why they, they, they were allowed to kill me. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that was very clear. <laughs> yeah, they would have beaten me and taken me to jail. And Michael, you did you did later. watch the show, correct? <laughs> that is that is true. Sorry, I forgot I forgot they were white. Okay, I don't see color. Well, well speaking of white people, we cut back to Jack Bauer. Um, <laughs> so Jack and our cop are executing a classic pincer maneuver on their suspect, <laughs> but in the background we see we see real cops kind of finally responding to her backup call. There's a helicopter in the air. There are multiple cars converging on the area. Um, someone shoots at Jack from the helicopter, mm-hmm. um, I believe. And then out of nowhere, our bad guy takes Afro cop hostage. Yeah, because the janitor didn't stay put. Maybe he doesn't even speak Spanish. Yeah, it's possible that man just speaks English and was like, I don't know what you wanted me to do. Yeah. Uh, but I'm going to I'm gonna come over here. Uh, <laughs> well, but- so speaking of speaking Spanish, so we cut to we cut to the commercial. We come back at 3.52. The bad guy has a gun to the, to the cop's head. He's in a standoff with Jack. And again, in true 24 fashion, the scene earlier where the cop talks to the janitor in Spanish who may or may not speak Spanish, probably doesn't because he looked pretty damn white. It only existed to show that one, Jack speaks Spanish, and two, now he knows that the other cops speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. So as the as the bad guy has a gun to her head, Jack says a line to her offhand in Spanish that, when I drop my gun, make your move. So this is, this is one of my least, absolute least favorite tropes in all of action movies. Where you take the person hostage, you put the gun to their head, and then you leave your stupid fucking head just way out in the open as if somebody from four feet away can't shoot you in the face. Like, we're supposed to believe that Jack is a CTU agent, he's this great fucking action hero, and he's supposed to be a whirling dervish of murder, and he can't hit a guy's giant fucking head without shooting the hostage? He decides to put the gun down. He's like five feet away from this fucking guy. Well, to be fair, he needs this guy alive. Uh, he's already he, he already told the cop that you can't shoot him because I need him alive for information because he knows this is the only link he has to Palmer. So he knows he can't kill the guy. He needs him alive. So he, you know, through the power of language, uh, <laughs> devises a, a way to distract him enough to for Jack to tackle the guy. So Jack drops his gun. The cop, as soon as he does, the cop elbows the guy in the head and Jack rushes up and tackles him. A shot does get fired and we find immediately while Jack has successfully brought him down, our, our cop has been shot. I rewound this scene three times. Did a shot actually get fired? I, I heard, heard it. I didn't see it. Yeah. There's no way that she was actually in the line of fire. I Because in my mind, I'm like... I, I'm like, did creepy snipefish know what was going on? Did he sneak out there with a silent sniper rifle and shoot this lady in the face? Because I did not see the shot happen. There's no bullet hole. Just a pool of blood. Just a pool of blood with our cop. Um, so as Jack is confronted with that, we cut back to Terry and Alan York arriving at Janet's crash scene, basically just as the ambulance leaves. Mm-hmm. And... 
somehow a the homeless woman who passed Janet by like literally 45 minutes ago is on the scene <laughs> to tell them that, yeah, I saw a girl got hit by a car. She just got taken to the hospital. Right. She, she didn't look good. Why does why does the homeless lady in L.A. have a Boston accent? Can anybody break that down for me? <laughs> it's a city of migrants, man. Uh, that That's... was so. So you you left Boston home full. Maybe she's an actress, a failed I mean, actress. Cur- Curtis, could, can you blame people for getting out of Boston? No, not at all. I mean, Marky Mark went to L.A. <laughs> look at him. I ass- I assume that she's. That she's probably an actress, and she's in she's in some kind of character like uh, Daniel Day Lewis. Mm, she just like yeah, she she goes method for like a month, like okay. Tom Jane in Arrested Development. Exactly. So they go off to the hospital. We cut back to Rick and Dan, who are meeting up with Ira Gaines, the as far as we know, the terrorist leader. Um, Dan lies to Gaines and says that they definitely killed Janet and no one will find the body, <laughs> right. which is, we have just seen is patently false on two fronts. Mm-hmm. It's like the um, worst lie ever. It's like, yeah, she was trouble. So we had to kill it. Right. Also, why, why is Ira Gaines doing this himself? Why is he meeting up with Rick and Douche? I you mean, have Kim's people to do package, these things. Though. Kim's an yeah, so it, as we learned, they pay they pay Rick and Douche twenty grand just to kidnap them. So presumably he could pay someone like fifty bucks just to <laughs> collect Kim. But uh, Kim is but now here, officially I mean, Kimnap three Maybe yep. he decided that like after the whole thing with Mandy and her girlfriend, That's true. he was packages. like, you know what, I'm just doing this shit myself because. Somebody's going to show up and these assholes are going to ask for 50 grand or something. And I'm going to have to kill these motherfuckers, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not inconceivable that Gaines would feel that way. So he says to Kim as, you know, he puts her in the back of the car, be good and we'll let you go in a day or two. You'll be back be at bad. the mall in a day or two. Yeah. Yeah, be bad. You'll be back at the mall. That was the thing in yeah. 2001. And, be, <laughs> and if you be bad, you won't. So, you know, it's clear that she's the leverage. This, you know, this is something that... You know, it's not just to get her. It's something that they need something to hold over Jack, which we'll get to in uh, about five minutes. Do, does anyone actually believe, though, that she's going to come out of this alive? No. Even if she's a good person, a good girl? Yeah, I mean, Curtis, how do, how do you feel about Kim's chances right now? I mean, hey, she, she's going to make it because Jack is, is, according to you guys, he's a festival of murder. And I'm excited to see it and we'll see what happens. Um, Look, but, we never said that the people close to Jack survive. But anything. there's there is there is no way in hell you let go of the daughter of a super agent after she's seen your face. So so Kim's dead if this thing is successful. That's just okay. all there is to it. Okay. Well, we'll see where that goes. So we cut back to CTU. Jamie's talking to Mason. She's getting questioned. They talk about coercion and basically say Mason tells Jamie that Jack and Nina will leave her out to dry. Um, and asks once again, what's so special about Jack Bauer? And my answer is probably that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, decides, we know he been fucking. the bottoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But um, Mason appears to get a call. He knows where Jack is now because, you know, our boy's been raising a bit of a ruckus <laughs> on the local PD scanner. Um, so lockdown's he, over. We, lockdown's over. He heads out to find Jack. We got we got his name his name service on a police frequency. Therefore, the lockdown's over. Like what the right. f- what the right. fuck kind of lockdown is this? It was all about it was all about Jack. But well, like they didn't even find him yet. <laughs> they just kind of maybe know where he is. They know they know where he just was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's standard procedure when an agent dies that as soon as we find out. Who, 
who was or there? where the per- yeah who was there or where they might be now. It's over. No yeah. big deal. So um, get back to work. So it's now three fifty eight. Uh-huh. We cut back to Jack on the scene. Cops have fully arrived. We learn the the name finally of the cop who was killed. Her name is Jesse Hampton. Rest mm-hmm. in peace. Yeah. God bless you, Jesse. You did the Lord's work. Um, but the cops around Jack do not want to let him take the suspect in for questioning because he killed a cop. And Jack's asked if he can at least have a few minutes with him. Yeah. And in what in what universe does the counterterrorism unit, a federal agency investigating a threat on a presidential candidate's life, mm-hmm. not have jurisdiction over the local LAPD? Well, this is another one of those wrinkles of 24 because the situation that Jack has put himself in is that he can't call anyone to confirm his status or like say, I need to bring this guy in because he's already rogue, has already shot his boss in the leg. Yeah, but the so, guy says everything checked out. Like he, that, It checks out that Jack is a CTU agent, right. but not that this... You know, but Jack, how does CTU not have authority and not have jurisdiction over the LAPD? Every movie I've ever seen in my entire life has told me that when the feds show up, it is fucking over. Right, but I think the thing here is that Jack knows personally that he's on a clock, that he needs to talk to this guy before CTU shows up or Jack's going to jail also. So Jack knows that he's on a clock, so he asks to talk to the guy before the cops take him in. So he, he gets permission, and the guy tells him that if the cops take him in, he's dead, and not because the cops will kill him for killing a cop, but because his terrorist associates will kill him. Right. And then he says his name. Mm-hmm. He, he says, says Bauer. hey, Bauer, if you ever want to see your daughter again, get me out of this. What does Jack do? He goes apeshit and tries to fight every single cop. Tries to get through a wall, mm-hmm. the blue wall, as it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a wall of cops. He fails. Miserably. Uh, yeah. um, but I just read, oh, shit, it just got real, real, yeah. real mm-hmm. for Jack. Yeah. So so young Jackson Bauer just runs back. And and Kush talking about his his athletic acumen gets back to the car asap lickety split so the cops drive off with our suspect jack gets in his car and start or he he runs back through the entire complex of the warehouse gets in his in his uh, suv and is hot in pursuit of the cops and guys i don't have a good feeling about this mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i have a great feeling go. about it yeah i if if i'm hoping this leads to murder um some some some, some jackson as it were, uh, going down pretty soon. Um, and, you know, I, I think this is, the, you know, the, the plot thickens. I now know that the terrorists have people working uh, at or around the police station and also someone who works for the airline or at the airport, at least, to be able to plant things in an air. This is this is a web of deceit that these terrorists have built that is impressive. Well, yeah. I mean, we already know there's a mole in CTU. Correct. So they could have moles everywhere. Everywhere. So, Curtis, how do you, how, where do you expect us to go from here? We know Jack's on the run. We know he's already gone rogue from his own agency. How do you feel he's going to handle some cops who are not bending to his will, per se? Uh, these poor cops have have no shot. Um, <laughs> from what I've seen of the tech that exists in Jack Bauer's vehicle, it's quite possible that he has some spy hunter gear, like NES- 85 to, to maybe fuck up a few police vehicles. He's going to throw out um, some spikes. Just in his SUV. Uh, that might go down. Maybe a um, rocket. Um, oh, slick. Yeah. Who knows, man? Who knows? He pulls up into a, into a giant semi-trailer and uh, re, you know, refuels and re, re- gets some more ammo um, and just gets after it. 
I, I don't think that this man may get back to the police station. Um, I do believe that we will see him bloodied in an SUV by the end of the next episode. Interesting. Um, with right. him asking where Kim is. Who's our mole? I, I hate Tony so much. And <laughs> even as a Cubs fan. And it's hard, it's hard not to hate him. Um, but I still am gonna go with either Jamie or someone we haven't met yet. I saw a look in Jamie's eyes. It could be Rayburn. For Rayburn some is, reason. It could be Rayburn. Rayburn may have like, God damn it. And I mean, <laughs> I knew you since bitch would call me in early. That's why I posited this murder plot against for the candidate. Yeah. Uh, if um, Rayburn got, you, shows you up, gotta, if you gotta shows think, up well-rested, we know that he's involved. <laughs> it's true. Well, no. You, you got to think, if Rayburn shows up kind of tired, you know he's involved. Because he's been he's been frenetic. He knows he's he's been on call the whole time. I just feel like, because Jamie got out of that, got, you know... Pulled away a little early. Mason didn't have really a lot of time to grill her. Maybe she was going to give something up. Who knows? Uh, I just feel like it was a little too convenient for her to be named as the person that could be trusted um, by Scott Baylor, uh, who I don't know. Um, so yeah. I don't, I don't know you, Scott. Yeah. You, sw- you sweaty some bitch <laughs> in a that, suit. I know that your last name is the same name of the university that's some shady things about football players and uh, sexual harassment and rape, as it were. So I don't trust you, Scott. Yeah. Uh, you go to hell. To be fair, that was eight years prior to those allegations. <laughs> <laughs> Don't care. Wait, no, twelve years 12, prior. No, no, a good, a good, a good 12, 15 years prior. <laughs> what um, year? Who am I? But it was, it was coming. It was coming the whole time. You know. Couldn't agree more. Now maybe if his name was Scott Clemson, I'd know that maybe he was a little bit of a bumbling idiot or a champion. Yeah. Um, now there'd be a case against him. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, well, I think this has been the witching hour of Longest Days of Our Lives. It's been 3 to 4 a.m. We just hit 4, and uh, I feel like we got a, a solid road ahead of us. I feel like the next episode might be a, a bit of a, a doozy again, but I feel like we're, we're building up to some, some real shit in the 6 a.m. hour. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting really excited about the... When Palmer's day is supposed to start. We've been told repeatedly that 6 a.m. is when the day gets started. Right. Yeah. I I'm, feel like the, the uh, hours between 6 and maybe like 10 a.m. are going to be pretty tasty. Yeah? Yeah. All right. I'm excited. Yeah. I think at, at 6 a.m. Palmer's going to go to his breakfast because he wants his OJ in his breakfast. Oh, he's getting that OJ. He, with and his then, labor leaders. And I, and I think I think between then, from, so from the hours of 4 to 6, I'm hoping to meet Rayburn and hope he's saying, you know, I'm not even supposed to be here. That's <laughs> And then yeah. at six, Rayburn gets going. You know, really starts to start, start, start the day. And now it's my time. It's Rayburn time, you guys. Let's get it. Well, I cannot wait to find out with you guys. So this has been the longest days of our lives. Um, if you like this show, please check us out at goodbuddymedia.com. Um, we also have another show that me and Michael do called uh, Trends in Low Places, where we really just talk about the dumbest things happening on the Internet. And we both like it. Uh, Curtis, can you tell people how they can help us out with other shows? Yeah, guys, go ahead and, and find us on your favorite podcast app, whether that be iTunes, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, Podcast Addict. And once you get on there and download the episode, please like and review and rate us uh, so that we can get moved up here. Uh, hopefully one of these days we'll start looking at what our rating is and telling you guys where we're at on the charts. Um, that's how we move up and uh, keep making these things for you guys. I uh, can get our, our numbers up a little bit. So appreciate everybody listening. Um, back to you, Kush. Michael, you got anything fun for us? No. That's great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Super duper. Well, uh, everyone, I hope you've enjoyed the longest days of our lives. Oh wait, Curtis. no, yeah, I got it. yeah. Find us, find us on Twitter and Facebook uh, <laughs> at. <laughs> 
You had one job! (laughs) At L-D-O-O-L cast for both Twitter and Facebook. Uh, And, you know, if you have anything good for us that you want us to to cover, uh, you can email us at uh, goodbuddymedia at gmail.com as well. Yeah, and I will say, uh, so... While 24 might have seemed to be dead, uh, Fox has revived it from the grave with 24 Legacy. We will be doing a couple of special episodes to kind of break down that show a couple episodes at a time. Black Bower. I think we might be live tweeting it at L Duel Cast on Twitter. So, you know, go ahead and follow us. Look out for some stuff uh, on that show. We're really excited about that one. We're excited that the show keeps going on. So, um, you know, you know, follow us everywhere you can. Again, like Curtis said, please, please, please give us a rating and a comment on iTunes. And, uh, you know, from there, we can't wait to hear, see you again next week. So, fellas, thanks for joining me. Thank Love you. you guys. Guys, we're running out of time. Toodles. <laughs>